Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1407. Tell the truth and be hanged. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Mark Green here. I'm a car care fanatic. You know that. And I've discovered Migliori Luxury Car Care Products. Migliori Strata Coating is a ceramic treatment that you can easily apply by yourself. It provides your special vehicle with a high-gloss finish and lasts for over a year. Migliori Strata Coating features an extreme hydrophobic finish, so water sheets right away, reducing water spotting, and it makes your car washing a breeze. With over a 100 positive reviews on Amazon, this is a time-tested product that's made here in the USA. With fall and winter on the way, protect your vehicle's finish with Migliori. You'll find all their premium car care products at migliorywax.com. Plus, you'll get 10% off at checkout by using the code CARSYEAH. 10% off, what a deal. That's M-I-G-L-I-O-R-E-WAX.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from a little town, Waddenhow, near Peterborough in the UK, Dave Phillips. Hey, Dave, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Hey, yeah, I'm strapped in and ready to go, Mark. All right. Dave Phillips is one of the world's best-known Land Rover riders and is a former editor of both Land Rover Owner International and Land Rover Monthly, the best-selling magazines on the subject. He is also the co-author of Off-Road Driving Manual for Haynes, of course, if we know Haynes, all of us who love cars. His newest book is titled The Land Rover Story and is published by our friends at Evro Publishing in England. Dave grew up in rural west Norfolk. My English is not doing very well today near England's east coast in an era when every other vehicle on the countryside was a hardworking Land Rover and has since driven these vehicles in most parts of the globe, including across deserts, up mountains, through tropical forests, all over the place. These days, he lives in Northamptonshire's Nina Valley in England, East Midlands, which he enjoys exploring his in his 1984, 90, and 1996 discovery. Dave, sounds like you're having some fun there in the English countryside. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little more about your career and a very obvious passion you have for these silly little cars called Land Rovers? 
I know, I know, which are really rip-offs of Jeeps, of course, originally, but that's yeah. another story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I love Land Rovers. I, I, well, I've always loved cars, but I've loved Land Rovers ever since one day about 30 years ago when I'd gone fishing on a winter's day. And uh, at the end of that day, I was driving back across the fields of the river and, and got stuck in an ordinary car. It, by then it was dark, it was pouring with rain. The nearest farm was nearly a mile away, so I had to walk in darkness to the farm to to get the persuade the farmer to leave his uh, warm hearth and his uh, evening meal and come and tow me out with his tractor. And I thought it was about time I got a 4 by 4 And being English, uh, I went for Land Rovers, and I've driven Land Rovers ever since. And the more I've driven them, the more I've fallen in love with them. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You sounded like you were starting a wonderful novel there with that story. I I want to hear the rest of the story. So, uh, (laughs) no, you know, I think this is great. Uh, I love those vehicles as well, and especially the old ones. They just have this workhorse uh, beauty about them, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I know there's a lot of my friends and people over here on the this side of the pond that love those vehicles as well, and especially the old ones, but the new ones are pretty fancy as well. They've come a long way, as they say. Well, as we continue on your journey, I want to start by asking you for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning out of the bog here on Cars, yeah? So, Dave, take the wheel. Okay, well, as a journalist, I'm a full-time journalist. I, w- I like to tell the truth, even if it isn't what others want to hear. It's it's the way I was brought up by my parents. My father was probably the most honest person I've met in my life. Let me give you an example. He was a tail-end gunner in heavy bombers with the Royal Air Force in the Second World War. And because of his remarkable vantage point at the back end of a Lancaster bomber, he had a very panoramic view of the devastation thousands of feet below. For that reason, the powers that be decided Dad should be issued with a Leica camera to record the scene. He later told me that when he left the RAF in about 1947, which I hasten to say is way before I was born, he spent a couple of days trying to hand back the camera. He, he told me, you know, nobody was bothered and a couple of officers even told him not to worry and just keep it. But he was too honest and that didn't seem right. And he kept trying until finally someone took it back. I have to admit that I think it's probably a bit too honest because I would have dearly loved to have owned that camera. Yeah, oh, but, gosh. Yeah, uh, not to mention just, the imagery in it. He was. But then yeah. Then, I always wanted to be a journalist, and uh, even when I was at school. When I left school, I became a cub reporter on newspapers. And in those days, journalism was a craft that was taken seriously. It was before the celebrities era. And new entrants got proper training and mentoring by experienced journalists who all said the, always said the same thing, tell the truth and be hanged. And it's a mantra I stuck to. This is a very long window way of telling you, answering your question. You know, I love the answer. I, and I like it for a lot of reasons. One is we know in media these days, there's so much bizarreness going on and non-truth telling. And it's so frustrating. Uh, this is very refreshing to hear this from you. And I have a big smile on my face. Number one, for uh, thanking for your father for his service uh, during, I can't imagine being a young man in the back of one of those planes trying to stay alive. <laughs> I mean, it's just a brave young man uh, that went out and did the things that they did. My father practiced uh, and always shared with me, and his father handed it to him, honesty as well. And I'll share a fun story with you. And I haven't ever told this before on my show. My dad borrowed his father's car to go into town. He was a farmer in Texas. And he was backing out, and he accidentally bumped into a, a car next to him and put a little scratch. And so my dad waited around for quite a long time. The owner never came back, and he said, well, okay. So he drove back to the farm. 
Well, my grandfather said, hey, I noticed a scuff on the bumper. What happened? And my dad told the story and he said, here, take this $50, go back into town and find the owner of that car and offer to pay for the damage. And he said, well, dad, you know, the guy never showed up. He goes, I don't care. You don't leave the scene of an accident. And my dad said it was a very, very tiny, wasn't even a dent. It was a very little thing. Went back in town. He looked all over, drove all over town and eventually found the car, sat by the car for a couple more hours. And the guy came out and said, here, I want to pay for it. And he said, the man looked at him and said, are you kidding? You, you didn't do anything. It's just a little scratch. He said, well, I want to do the right thing. So that story reminded me very much, uh, wow. your story of my dad's story and the great thing that your father and my father handed down to us. Yeah. And, and that's honesty. So I love yeah. that. Tell the truth and be hanged. It's <laughs> very, very George Washington as well, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, let's uh, have you share a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were going to be a car guy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always loved cars, even as a kid. Uh, I've got a, a photograph of me in my plywood pedal car, aged about two years old, you know, dreaming, zooming off down the road. I mean, I can't remember much about being two years old, obviously, but I can't remember a time when I didn't love cars. Yeah, by the time I was eight or nine years old, I could identify, identify most cars on the British roads. Having said that, it was Charles Play in those days because British cars of the 1950s, 60s, 70s were all styled very distinctively. Every one of them looked different to the next, whereas today they look as if they all came from the same jelly mold, you know. And this is true with Land Rovers as well. I think it was pretty tragic when Land Rovers design director, a guy called Jerry McGovern, was let loose with the design of the company's new models in the last decade or so, because it, even I find it difficult at, dis, at a distance to differentiate between, say, a Range Rover Sport, a Range Rover Evoque, and a, and a Range Rover Velar. They're three different models, but... They're so similar. Um, and it's the same with, it's not just Land Rover, it's the same with most cars these days. They they, they all look the bloody same. Very <laughs> vanilla world we live in, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But, well, you know, but Land Rovers in particular, I think, enrich your life because they're a car that can, if you feel like it, take you across the most inhospitable places on this planet. Of course, most owners never do any such thing, but deep inside, they know they could. <laughs> That car parked outside could take them across a desert if they wanted it. I think that makes them feel good. Makes well, me feel good as well. And maybe <laughs> over the speed bumps in the shopping mall parking lot, too, if you have to get over those. But, you know, you sent me a great picture, an old picture. It looks like of your mom, perhaps, or I guess we're in England. So I, your, your mom. And was, right. is that your brother or a friend no, of yours? Just, just a little pal of mine, you know, when I'm, yeah. I'm the one in the middle picking my nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I smiled when I saw that because I have a picture of myself a uh, little younger than that in my pedal car, which was a, yeah. Gar a Garten Cadillac. So uh, I'm going to send you that picture. I think it'll make you smile. Oh, fantastic. It'll be brilliant, yeah. Mark. Yeah, my hair was actually flying through the wind. I figure I must be going very fast. Of course, I don't have any hair anymore, but uh, back then I did. So. Uh, I'll share that with you. Well, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, let's take a look at some of these roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even a failure that you faced in your life or your career. I like this question in the sense of what did that experience teach you that ended up being a positive lesson for you? So take it away. As far as cars are concerned, I've, there's not a lot that's gone, lot, lot really gone wrong. I'm, I'm a very positive person. I go through life with a lot of optimism and I I tend not to think of what goes wrong. You know, it's, I'm, a, I'm a real glass half full rather than half empty. 
that's what I suppose the biggest challenges I've ever had is relationships. I'm terrible at relationships. Uh, oh. <laughs> it was a shame. I love women. I do a female company, probably because I spend so much time with men all, you know, talking about cars, football, and all the rest of the bloke stuff we go on about. Sure. But I believe to be good at relationships, you have to compromise. And I'm not very good at that, you know. Mm. Well, women tell me I'm impossible. In fact, just about every woman I've ever had a relationship has told me that. So it has to be true, really, doesn't it? Well, it's always easier to understand, Mark. Yeah, it's always. <laughs> I've learned it's good to listen. I've been married for well, just about to celebrate. Well, I've, we celebrated. We recorded the show in advance, but my 35 years of marriage here. So, um, as oh, I well like done. to, as she likes to say, she's knocked off almost all the burrs. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> working on it, but. Yeah, I think part of relationship building, uh, a lot of it has to do with being a good listener. I would imagine being a journalist, though, you're probably a good listener. So uh, where's the problem, old chap? You probably noticed I'm a good talker. The <laughs> fact that you find it hard to get a word in anyway, so that's prob- probably is the problem. Oh, listen, I've never, because I'm an optimist, I've never given up on the idea of one day meeting the right woman and living happily ever after. But well. she'd probably have to like Land Rovers, though. I think so. Well, you keep looking. They say there's there's always somebody out there for you, so I'm sure there is for you as well. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. You touched on that little uh, pedal car that you had, but let's talk about the first car that had great meaning for you. Well, it was, it was my first car. I'll give, tell you the quick story. As soon as I was old enough to drive, I took driving lessons. And my drive, this is great. My driving instructor, she was a neighbor, but she happened to be the aunt of a lad who eventually turned out to be a very well-known professional racing driver. His mm. name was Martin Brundle. Brundle? Was, oh, my gosh. He was, yeah. Ma- my, he was a Michael Schumacher's co-driver in the Benetton team yes. in, in yeah. 1992. Uh-huh. Now, he came from the same hometown as me in Norfolk, wow. and he even went to the same school as me. Wow. But because he was three years younger than me, of course, I never had anything to do with him, you know, which – so uncool to speak to young kids when you're at school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, imagine but anyway, that. Anyway, so I'm digressing. His auntie, anyway, she got me through my driving test, and my first car was a nine-year-old Ford Cortina Mark One. Ooh, which, I like it. Which, I, which I'm sure you don't get in the States, but it was Ford, and I love Fords. Yeah, love well, the Cortinas were cars. I'm Jimmy Clark drove a Cortina when he was That's young. Exactly, correct. Yeah, they were pretty good rally cars. Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like the way those cars look. I think they're cool. The, the I still rear, do. <laughs> well, yeah, the real tail lights kind of remind me a bit of the old uh, Ford uh, Mercury Comet. That's uh, right. The, the, the round old. Yeah, the, with the, the little tiny fin. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I love them in the cream ones with the green stripe. Uh, I think they're marvelous oh, the, little cars. That's Lotus Cortina. That was, that was the pinnacle. Mine, mine wasn't a Lotus Cortina, I'm afraid. But oh, it was, okay. <laughs> it, it was to me, you know, I, I loved it and what it represented. You know, I'd only owned, owned a couple of motorbikes at that stage, but the car was different. You know, it was the car a girlfriend and my mates could come along for the drive. I mean, who, who can forget their first car? The freedom to just jump in and go where you want. The simple joy of driving your own car. I mean, I was only 17, and that was a time when suddenly everything seemed possible thanks to that car. Yeah, marvelous. I love it. 1973, you know, teenager with my own wheels, just amazing. It's taken me back there now, you know, all these years later. I feel um, I I could still do it. Of course you can. Absolutely. Well, wonderful memories. Yeah, cars represent freedom for sure. Is there a seller's remorse story in your life, a car you sold and wish you still had oh same one definitely same i one. mean unfortunately a year after i got it i was rear-ended at a junction by the car behind me which also pushed me into the car in front so it damaged both ends and 
My insurance company wrote it off as uh, damage beyond economic repair. I kept the wreck, but I sold it to a friend of mine who had also got a Cortina for spare parts. And I bitterly regret it because uh, knowing what I know now, I, I would have repaired the damage to the front and back and got it back on the road. I've you know, done it myself and it would have been economically possible. I mean, I've owned, I've owned a lot of cars since then, including two more Ford Cortinas, but none ever quite touched the same parts of my soul, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, maybe one day I'll get another one, you know, and uh, pretend. Well, I have no <laughs> doubt. I have no doubt. Well, let's talk about this book of yours, The Land Rover Story. I know a lot of your writing careers are around Land Rovers. Your knowledge is very in-depth. Uh, is this the first book you've written? And uh, what inspired you to write this book? I've always been a journalist since I left school, as I said, and it, it wasn't until I think 22 years ago I became a, a Land Rover journalist. Um, but as I said, I'd already been a journalist for, for you know, over 20 years when I started working for motoring magazines in the 1990s, and I was a bit shocked by the way some motoring journalists in the UK were seduced by the manufacturers. You know, it's a wonderful world. You get flown around the world to to car launches and often given expensive gifts. And as a result, I found many journalists were felt obliged to write what the PR departments wanted them to write because they wanted to make sure they were invited back for the next gig. But I'm an old school journalist with old school values. As I said earlier, the truth is my mantra. And as far as I'm concerned, my only boss is the reader. Like I'm sure your only boss is your listener. The person who reads my work is going to be influenced by what I say. And I'd be cheating the reader if I didn't tell them the truth. I was fed up with all the fawning articles and shallow books, especially on Land Rovers. So I decided to write the real and warts and all history of Land Rovers and explode a few myths along the way. Um, that's what the Land Rover story is all about. And I'm pleased to say it is going down a storm because it is unusual in that uh, it does tell the truth. You know, I think this is marvelous. And when I think of Land Rovers, and remember back in the, um, well, when Land Rover SUVs became very popular here in the U.S., they were like the most expensive one you could buy, and everybody oohed and awed. But quite honestly, they weren't very good cars. In fact, they were they were terrible cars, and yet people still bought them. They built up this fantasy somehow. I don't know who the marketing people were at the time, but they did a brilliant job. Tell us a little bit about the Land Rover story book you've written. How does it take us through the history? Does it go all the way back to the beginning, up to the current, or how do you portray it? Well, yeah, it goes before the beginning. In fact, I set the scene of the the British motor industry after the Second World War, which was, you know, which was the genesis of the Land Rover. We're basically the Rover car company, which had been building aircraft engines through the war had to go back to cars, but the, their designs were all 1930s and the, the world had moved on and there's a shortage of steel. So they were really in stuck. So, but one of the guys who uh, was a, a director of the Rover company had got a war surplus Jeep that he used to buzz around, it, around in on his farm at home. He said, he said to his brother, who was the other director of the company, hey, hey, we could copy this we could, and we could build one as a short-term measure until we get the cars back on the road, as it were. So they did. They copied the Willys Jeep with, you know, with their engines and their gearboxes and using aluminium for the bodywork because there's an awful lot of aluminium around because of all the all the aircraft that were being scrapped at the end of the war. And that's, that's how the Land Rover came about. It was as easy as that. It was a, 
stole the idea from Jeep and then they tried to do it a little bit better and it's, it evolved from there. But my book, my book isn't a rivet, rivet counters, rivet counters manual. You know, you'd have to go somewhere else if you want to find out about torque settings and wiring diagrams and recommended service in, intervals. It really is about, it's about the people who uh, invented, improved and engineered the, the Land Rover over the decades. And I've also set the scene. I've told it as a story, you know, it, it's like fiction, but it's not. You know, it's written like a, a novel, so that you could read the story as you go along. But uh, so I've set in the background what the world was like at that time through the 1940s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and 80s. You know, all the politics of the world and how it affected the automotive industry because nothing exists in a vacuum, particularly any car manufacturer, but because they are incredibly influenced by politics and world events and even fashion whims. But, you know, the, other, the main thing of the book is, you know, you, you put in the you don't just put in the successes, you put in the failures. And like you say, they produce some, produce some lemons over the years. And the other things that Land Rover tried to airbrush out of the history. But, of course, you know, I've spoken quite frankly about them. Let me ask you this. Uh, I'm sure you uncovered some very interesting things. Is there maybe one or two big surprises you uncovered as you were unwrapping the uh the proverbial onion here and pulling back the pieces and realize, oh, wow, I didn't expect to find that. Well, I, w- I wouldn't want to spoil the book too much by telling them all. But, you know, w- one of the main things is uh, the actual origin of the first Land Rover. They tried to tell this wonderful story many decades after the ev- event that uh, Morris Wilkes, the actual inventor of the Land Rover, had sat on a, on a beach in Anglesey. Yeah, I up the coast of Wales one day with his brother and a family picnic and drew a, a picture of his dream of what a Land Rover would be in the sand. And, and from there on, you know, they took it forwards. But for one thing, this approved, you know, proved, you know, through historical events, it couldn't have happened because they couldn't have been where they were supposed to be that day. And secondly, why the hell would he draw a picture of a Jeep to his brother? Because his brother had no full well what a bloody Jeep looked like, you know. What he was proposing was a copy of a Jeep, you know. So it, it, was, it was nonsense. But the, And I've said it's nonsense. So, you know, just that's, that's just the very start of it. But there's little bits I've held the way through, really, yeah. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Well, I'll remind our listeners, I'll put links to where you can get a copy of this fantastic book, The Land Rover Story by Dave Phillips. I think you're going to enjoy this. Whether you're into them or not, I love the way the book's written and the story, like a methodology you went through versus something that's very factual and, like you say, rivets and uh, wiring diagrams. So, Dave, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yow sponsors. When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new ADS-2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com. To check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out, enter Cars Yeah in the coupon code and get 10% off your order. That's Edelbrock, automotive performance since 1938. You take care of your cars. 
But who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Okay, Dave, we are back and I have a bit of an introspective question. I'm going to get into your head a little bit here and ask you, if you were a car, if you were actually manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and want? Hey, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because yeah, it's, it's a mood thing, you know? Yes. There are some days I'd want to be a ref- a Ferrari, the, the other days I'd, I'd want to be a truck. I suppose at the end of the day, I'd have to say a Land Rover Defender. Okay. Oh, not the new one that's just been launched, you know, the fancy down model that's got all the electronics. I'd, I'd want one of the older ones, like the one I've got outside. You know, I like simplicity in cars. I think I think you touched on that earlier yourself. And the original Land Rover was, was, no frill, was a no-frills vehicle. I mean, I've got a 1984 Defender 90, which, you know, is beautiful, but I've actually retrofitted 1960s doors on it, so <laughs> I can actually have sliding windows instead of these newfangled wind-up windows. Oh my I gosh! Mean, the more simple, <laughs> the most simple and stripped down, the more I love it. You know, you're an analog kind of guy, Dave. Oh, absolutely. That's, I like that's, it. That's perfect. Yeah. The 90s oh, are but, beautiful I too. Think it reflects me as a person. You know, I'm, I just like the honest truth and there you what go. you see, what you see, what you get. I don't flatter to deceive, and that's exactly what a Land Rover Defender is. Yes, absolutely. Well, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Defender throttle, as quick as you can blip the Defender throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? When off-roading, keep your feet off the brake pedal when you're traveling down a steep hill. Let the engine and the gearbox do the braking for you. Yeah, that's a good one. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Oh, I don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> I, like to, I like to see humor in every situation. And if you can laugh when you get stuck in a deep mud hole off-road, then... That's good. Just the fact that you are you are off-road, enjoying that day, uh, makes it a pleasure. Now, how about a resource? Is there one you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was really helpful to me when, when I wrote my book as well. A good friend of mine, a, a classic car guy called Keith Adams. I think he's he, he's actually... He's been editor of various classic car magazines, but he set up a, a website called aronline.co.uk. It actually stands for Austin Rover Online, and it's all about the dozens of wonderful 
cars that used to make up the British car industry. You know, names like Austin, Morris, Triumph, Rover, Jaguar, MG, Riley, Wolseley, etc. I mean, many of those, most of those names are now long gone, but they were huge, you know, back in the day. And it's all about them. I mean, it's forensic in its level of detail. It's a real treasure trove of interviews, everything you'd ever want to know about British cars. I, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I dip into it all the time. Very cool. You'll have to introduce me to Keith. Maybe we can get him on oh, the show well, here. He, he would be brilliant. I will after, Afterwards, I'll, I'll send you his details. Thank you. That'd be fantastic. aronline.co.uk. So I'll make sure to put a link to that on Dave's show notes page here on the Car Show website. Now, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? You see, Henry Ford every time. He's the most asked for person here. Uh, what is your reason for wanting to sit down and talk to Henry? It changed the world by changing the way people travel. I mean, every individual, everybody has their individual individual transport, freedom. I want to know how he got that vision. I, w- I wouldn't want to talk about his manufacturing process. I would like to know how he had his vision to do that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that would be something. Now, how about a book? Other than this new book by you, The Land Rover Story, where I'll put some links to where my listeners can get a hold of that. Is there another book that you'd like to recommend? Yeah, not not a Land Rover book. I mean, the book I'd always recommend um, would be To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I first read it when I was 15. It's never left me. It's a magnificent book by a brilliant American author, and she never wrote another book. I think she decided that that one book said everything she wanted to say. She exposed the stupidity of adults and the narrow-minded attitudes by describing them through the eyes of a child. And that, to me, was genius. And talking about Eyes of a Child, my second book would be Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Uh-huh. I read it when I was nine years old, and it made me want to be a writer. You know, yeah, both two iconic, uh, legendary books. And, uh, both incredible. American, of course. Well, they are. <laughs> That's that- by, by, by pure coincidence. I just yeah. love them both, yeah. Well, yeah, then they're both books that I think every kid should read. Um You know, I saw something online the other day, and I hope it wasn't true. Somebody posted, of course, everything online is true, right? Uh, somebody had posted that a school, some school district here in the United States had removed To Kill a Mockingbird from their shelves, uh, so the kids couldn't get their hands on it, which is absurd in more ways than one. Number one, kids can get their hands on any book anywhere these days. They have a little device in their hand called a phone. But, uh, the idea of removing that book and its message, uh, and the importance of that message, I I just hope that was a fake meme that somebody put out there because I just, uh, you just shake your head and go, you know what? More people need to read To Kill a Mockingbird and understand Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, I'll make sure you can find links to all these resources on Dave Phillips' show notes page on the Cars yeah! website. Links to these books will be there. I've got a really cool place on the website called Guest Recommended Books, where well over a thousand books are listed, and they all are nar- marked down with a quick, easy click to buy, including The Land Rover Story by Dave Phillips. All right, Dave, we are up to the checkered flag. Today... I'm going to buy you a cool collector car, any collector car that exists on this planet. I'm going to park it in your garage, but there are some rules to the game that might make your answer a little bit of a challenge. One is, it's the only cool collector car you can have. You can only have one. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed around here. I want to get a little mud on the fenders. And you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other Land Rovers with. So choose wisely, my friend. The problem is though, whether you'd actually be able to buy it, though, because I would choose the original Land Rover center steer, the development prototype that was based on the Willys Jeep. 
Ooh. And, and was the precursor of the production Land Rover. Does that vehicle uh, exist somewhere today? Well, this is the point is, I mean, according to Land Rover, I mean, this is in the book, they say that it was discarded for scrap, but I love a conspiracy story. And I've spoken to old guys who know that it was actually taken away from the factory and that someone's got it in a garage somewhere in the West Midlands of England. And they're afraid to make it public because, you know, they're afraid Land Rover would, you know, Try sue to them take or whatever. It. Yeah. And yeah. so it's supposed to be out there somewhere, but no one knows where it is. Wow. What a cool so, story. So it's a difficult one for you to buy me, but if you could, I'd be really grateful. And I, I promise I'll drive it. <laughs> I see a novel here for you, Dave. A novel about the mystery of the Land Rover Center Steer. You could paint a whole story around this thing. Yeah, I think you could actually, couldn't you? Yeah. yeah, I think that's your next book. Yeah, have a little I fun with that. That is a great idea, Mark. You've got me thinking there. <laughs> well, there you go. I hope I inspired you a little bit. You know, it's interesting because we all love the, I mean, car guys love the barn find story, these cars that show up. And I had a guest on my show uh, not too long ago whose family owned the original Bullet Mustang that was used in the movie. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And uh, that car was hidden away for decades. His mom actually was dead, bought it out of an ad. I think it was in Road Track or something. Um, Auto Week, I don't know, but he bought it, and it was the movie car. It was the one. There were several they used, but most of them got wrecked. And his dad bought it, and then his mom drove it to work every day. She was a teacher. And then they started to realize what they really had, so they hid it away in a barn because they were afraid that somebody would come and steal it or you know, something would happen, and it sat there for a long time. You'll have to go back and listen to the story, but Oh, uh, absolutely. The fact that the well, that there are these cars that are out there and they're still being found today. Yeah. So I would love for the original Land Rover center steer to appear someday. Wouldn't that be magnificent? It would be. It certainly would. Very cool. Well, Dave, you've taken me on a great ride today out in the English countryside in a bouncy old Land Rover. I've had great fun with you. Really enjoyed your stories. Want to thank you for sharing your journey and your new book with us today. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that original Land Rover center steer. Hey, I, I thought you'd—I thought you'd have realized by now I'm the last person in the world who should give anyone any advice. On that. <laughs> well, I've heard from many ladies over there in England that you're full of advice or full of something. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> Absolutely, but that one bit of advice would be: don't be a writer unless you really, really want to be one. Because it's a calling. It's, it's, it's not a job opportunity. And you'll most likely never get rich by being one. But you sure have some fun and you'll make some great memories along the way. I think so. Great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you? Are you active in social media? Do you have a website? I, I don't personally, but I do, I do uh, write a couple of columns every month for, still for the magazine that I used to be, one of the magazines I used to be editor of, which is Land Rover Monthly, where I. I spout off every month in there. And you can you can subscribe online to LRM at it's lrm.co.uk. If you want to get a copy of the book, I would say in America, the easiest way to do it is is via the usual uh, suspects online, you know, like Amazon, et cetera, or yes. whoever, whatever retailer you want to use. But you can get, you can get signed content. If you want a signed copy, Oh, heaven knows why anybody want my signature on it. But if you if you wanted one, you can get them direct from the publisher, and that's everopublishing.com. My friends at Evro Publishing, they're so good to me. They send me all sorts of great people, including people like uh, David 
Phillips. So I would, you're welcome. I would encourage you to go to the Garjao website. You can click on those, get yourself a copy of this book. If you love those old vehicles, you know what? This is the book to have on your shelf. Uh, Dave has really done something unique and different here. I think you're going to love it. And with the holiday season coming up, it makes a great gift idea too, by the way, because us car guys and car gals, we're really hard to buy for. Dave, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise for calling in from across the pond and sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yow listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me, Mark. You're welcome. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!